Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. So the title of our series is that, Who You Gonna Call? Today is the last one. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I want to call on an individual whose name means honeybee. Some think that's because she had a sting in her tail. We don't know why she was called that, but that's what her name was called. I'd like you to give a round of applause for the only one who is female as a judge in Israel, ladies and gentlemen, Deborah. Thank you very much. Now, of course, we don't know what she looked like. And most of you are sitting there thinking, I don't know anything about Deborah anyway. Why am I applauding this lady? Which is exactly why I chose her. And actually, a theme that has gone all the way through this series is that every one of these has been unlikely heroes. Every human being used of God is an unlikely hero. It's nothing to do with who we are It's everything to do with who he is. Did I hear a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Thank you, Martin, on the front row. (laughs) She's the only female judge that is mentioned. And the book of Judges, as we've heard over the last few weeks, because there's been a few from this book, spanned a period of about four or five hundred years. And it was an interesting season because it was full of ups and downs. What happened was the children of Israel would go away from God and God who is rich in mercy would raise up another judge to help them and they would return to God. And you'd think they'd learn from their past mistakes, wouldn't you? But no, they went down again and it came up. Just let's read the pattern in Judges 2 verses 16 to 20. I don't know whether that's going to come on your screen, but I'll read it to you from here. Judges Chapter 2, verse 16 to 20. I'm looking it up as I speak. Should have brought my paper Bible. The Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from their ways to the ways, from the ways of their ancestors who'd been obedient to the Lord's commands. And listen to this. This is what I want to emphasize. Whenever the Lord raised up, say the Lord raised up. Online, say the Lord raised up. Online, I didn't say you guys in the room. The Lord raised up. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. And in a number of places it uses that phrase, the Lord raised them up. The Lord raised them up. And yet when you look at some of these judges, they weren't highly moral individuals. Gideon, who's a story many of you may know, Gideon was actually an idolater. Samson, many know the story of Samson and the way he pushed down the pillars of the theater where they all were. Samson definitely had relationship issues. He wasn't the highest moral man you'd ever meet. Jephthah, if you read that story, go and read Judges. It's fascinating. Jephthah made a vow. 
And the vow meant that ultimately he sacrificed his own daughter. But these were the people that God raised up. Now I'm saying that because Deborah is an unlikely judge in the season where we read because it was a highly patriarchal society. If you excuse the phrase, in those times, it was a man's world. And yet here we find this woman in leadership. And I want to point out this, the Lord raised her up. Hello? I, in my young, I'm going to make an apology to you and anyone online as well. I used to say, I'm going to read to you some of the things I used to say many years ago about Deborah and her leadership. The only reason I said these things was to try and get me out of a theological position that we held then, which we have changed, I have changed. I'm not the same person that I was when I came here 28 years ago. If you think I am that person, I remember once someone complaining, you've changed, thank God. Hello? If we don't change, something's wrong. I've changed, and I've changed my view in regard to this point. I used to say, Deborah, forgive me, okay? I'll look down because I can't look you in the eye. <laughs> Deborah only came to be a judge because there were no suitable men to take her position. Ooh. <laughs> it was a, I said this. It was a judgment on Israel for their lack of male leadership. Hello? Let me quote this to you. This was a quote I found in my old notes, quoting someone else because I couldn't have said it this well. A living, Deborah coming to be a judge is a living indictment of the weakness of Barak. Barak was a man that if you read the story in Judges 4 and 5, she enlists to be the one who leads the army to go against the Canaanite rulers. It was a living indictment of the weakness of Barak and other men in Israel who should have been more courageous leaders. Of course, the inference in what I'm saying is that Deborah would never have risen to power if men had been leading as God intends. Forgive me. What a load of rubbish. But I've changed. I've changed. I think Deborah led because God raised her up. Full stop, period. Didn't raise her up. I mean, if God could use a Gideon and a Jephthah who were totally immoral men, God could raise up whoever he liked. There was enough immoral men available for God to use as judges if he'd have wanted to. But he didn't. He chose Deborah. And he didn't choose Deborah because she was a woman. He chose Deborah because she was the best person at the time, according to his plan and purpose, to be a judge in Israel. Amen. It wasn't that he ignored her sex. I'm not, not pretending that or gender. God knew she was a woman, but it wasn't her womanliness qualities, although we'll come on to that in a minute, the qualified or disqualified for the task, any more than simply being a man meant they were suitable for leadership. It's that God calls and appoints. And if God calls and appoints, then you better do what he says. Now, I feel like there's about 50% of the room that are agreeing with me right now and 50% that aren't. That's all right. That means 50% of us are right and the rest aren't sure. 
Of course, there are godly, good people that believe differently. I'm not trying to knock them. I was one, and I love them and appreciate them. But my point is to say this. Don't you rule yourself out when God rules you in. We could choose any subject. Too young, too old. Too educated, not educated enough. Wrong color skin, different color skin. Rule yourself out. And God says, I rule you in. Because it's what God anoints and appoints that matters. Let me read one author to you. He said, the power of these biblical narratives is intensified by the fact that these stories aren't situated in an egalitarian Western culture, but are embedded in a full-blown patriarchal context where men are primary and hold the power reins. God uses the available. And God uses the inadequate. And God uses the unwilling. That's the story of the Bible. Of Moses who can't speak. And Isaiah, who has a problem with swearing, Isaiah 6, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'll put coals on your lips and make you suitable. Fishermen who are from the north, but God calls. A Deborah, who's living in a quote-unquote man's world, but God uses it. It says in chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, this of Deborah, this is her speaking. She says, in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in case you don't know the story of Shamgar, he, called, he killed 600 men with an ox goad. In the days of Jael, Yael, who killed a man by driving a wooden stake through his head. We'll talk about that in a minute. She says, or she sings rather, the main roads were deserted because travelers kept to the side roads. Villages were deserted. They were deserted in Israel until I, Deborah, arose and this is the beautiful phrase about Deborah, a mother in Israel. She's singing this, till I came. And I became, became the one. She ruled as a judge in, in Israel for 40 years. And the cities and the place prospered. God called her. Chapter 4, I can't read it all to you, but... It's the same story we read there in chapter 2. The ups and downs, the ups and downs. And that's where we meet Deborah. And so in verse 4, we're told three things about her. We're told that first, she's a prophetess. We'll come on to that in a minute. The second thing we're told is that she is the wife of Labidoth. Or Lapidoth. Now, let me just pause there. I want to ask you, is she the wife of Lapidoth? You say, well, the Bible says so. Well, actually, what the Bible says, she is the woman of Lapidoth. The same word in the Hebrew is used for wife and woman. And Lapidoth is not mentioned, if, if it's her husband, he's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. No mention of children either. So it could be she's the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoth. It could be a guy. Or it could be she's the woman of Lapidoth because often they named them according to the geographical location they were from. So I could be Steve from Milton or Becky from Cottenham or whatever. It could have been Deborah from Lapidoth. It could be a place. The problem is there's nowhere else in the Bible called Lapidoth. So neither is a man mentioned called Lapidoth in the rest of the Bible, nor is a place called Lapidoth in the Bible. 
except for here. So some think that in the Hebrew, it's actually a word that is made plural, and it's taken as the word lapid, which is mentioned in other of other places in the Bible, and means torch, or light, or fire. It's used in the context often when they bring a torch up, even in the book of Judges. So it could be, and this is the one I like, this is where I'm going, that it's saying, it's, she's not the wife of, she's not from the place of, but Deborah is the woman of fire. Said it with a Welsh accent then. Did you think that was Welsh then? The woman of fire. And I like that thought, that she was a woman who was a light bearer. She was a judge in Israel. That's what she had to do. She had to bring light to situations. She was a leader in Israel. She was the only female judge and prophet. There's only five prophets, only five female prophets mentioned in the Old Testament. And she's one of them. And she's a judge. This is, this is rare. She was a woman of passion. She was a considerable, and I like that. I think she's a woman of lapid, a woman of light, a woman of truth. It also never mentions her kids. Tells us she was these three things, a prophet, a woman of fire. The last part is a judge. She was one busy lady. If you read Judges there, it says her office, it doesn't actually say that, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Her office was under the palm tree between Bethel and Ramah. And she's following the, te the template that Moses laid down so that by this time, the judgments that she would bring would only be the big cases. So this woman is not just dealing with little things every day. She is the high court in Israel. This is a, what an amazing woman. But it's all because God appointed her. Hip, hip. So three things I want to say about Deborah that I think we should seek to emulate. I'd love to read the story to you. Let, let me tell you one thing that she does. When, when she enlists uh, Barak to go and be the leader of the army against uh, Sisera, who's the, the leader of the army, and then the Canaanite king, she actually prophesies, and we don't know why she prophesies this, but she prophesies that the glory won't go to Barak. The glory will go to a woman. And you think, oh, is this, is this about Deborah then? The glory is going to go to Deborah? Actually, when you read the story and the, and the song that I just read, some of it to you from chapter 5 there, the glory went to a woman called Jael, or Yale as it might be pronounced. Because what happened was, Sisera, who was the leader of the Canaanite army, escaped this is, this is an army that had been masquerading into Israel for, for 20 years. They had lots of chariots, lots of horses. And when Barak led the children of Israel with Deborah going with them against the army, Sisera, the leader, ran and she, he went to the tent of jail. She was the husband of one of the other people in authority. She was the wife of some of the other, uh, other men in the uh, army. And he said, well, we're friends. Can I hide in your tent? And she said, of course you can. This is the story. This is in the Bible. Come and hide in here. He said, give me some water to refresh me. She said, I'll bring you something. So you know what she brought him? She brought him milk and curds. And she brought him a blanket. And he fell asleep. Isn't that a lovely story? 
And while he was asleep, what she did was she got a tent peg and a big hammer and she nailed his head to the floor. Right the way through. It says in the Bible that his head was stuck to the floor because she nailed this tempeg right the way through. I was going to bring a tempeg. This isn't like a little one that you use, you know, a little thin piece of wire. This is a big wooden stake. And so, Sisera, who'd been the leader, because he was the leader of the army, it meant that the children of Israel had defeated their enemies. And the glory didn't go to Barak, because I'm not telling you the story about Barak right now. I'm telling you the story about Jael or Yael. So the prophet, or the prophetess, Deborah, prophesied this would happen. Or she didn't prophesy that the killing. She said the glory will go to another. And in the song that's in Judges 5, they're praising what God had done through Yale, nailing the head of Sisera to the ground. Oh, some bloodthirsty stuff in this Bible. And I don't understand it all, but it's good. Three things about Deborah that I think we should emulate. Number one, she was a prophetess. Can I say to you, C3 family, those of you online as well, be eager to prophesy. You don't need a microphone and you don't need to be on this stage in order to prophesy. You can do it afterwards when you're talking with one another. You can do it in your small groups. Now, I'm not saying you're all prophets. I'm saying, according to the scriptures, all may prophesy. This is 1 Corinthians 14. It says all may prophesy one at a time. You, you can prophesy. How do I know you can prophesy? Because you have the Spirit of God in you. There's a story in the Old Testament where Moses needs help. And so God appoints and anoints 70 other elders to rule with him. And when God appoints them, this is what happens. They all start to prophesy. And two of the guys go back into the camp and they're prophesying. And Joshua, who's Moses' assistant, sees this and he says, they're prophesying, isn't this Moses' job? Isn't he the one that has the word of the Lord? And he goes to Moses and said, it's not right. And Moses said, no, 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 don't, don't stop them. This is what Moses said to them. He says, don't, don't stop them. This is Numbers eleven twenty nine. Are you jealous for my sake? Clearly Joshua was jealous because these other people were prophesying. Moses says this, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. A sign that they'd received the Holy Spirit was that they prophesied. In the New Testament, that's exactly what we get in the book of Acts. That your sons and your daughters, when the Holy Spirit is poured on all flesh, they will have dreams and they will prophesy. If you've received the Spirit and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can prophesy. Yes, you can. If you've got flesh, little flesh, lot of flesh, whatever your flesh, you, it means people, it doesn't mean flesh. It means you, if you read the NIV, it says the Spirit will fall on all people. If you are a New Testament child of God who's baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, you may prophesy. So the rest of the service, go ahead, prophesy. See you later. No, no, but we are going to, we do want you to, in small groups, do it. Tonight, we've got Margaret Stump with us. You've got to come back tonight. If you don't come back tonight, I'm not sure if you're saved. 
Does that sound like manipulation? If you're doing something else, then stay there and do it. But if you can come back tonight. Margaret is a woman, Margaret Stone. She's at Colchester this morning because we sent her there because she was part of the history of that place, even prophesying that that building that we're in would be a place of worship with a church that refused to go in there when they were given it. And then the pastor got all sad and moved away. But here we are, 20 years later, whatever it is, I don't know the time scale exactly, reaping of what was prophesied. I have been around a long time. There's some things coming true in my life right now that were prophesied when I was 16, 17 years of age. A lady came to me once and said, said to me, you're going to go, I was just, just starting as pastoring, Betty Birchall, her name was, she prophesied over me, I, I spoke a lot in those days about revival, and I, I had books on it, I've got lots of books on revival, and she came to me, she said, you're going to go, because the hero at the time was um, Yonggi Chow in North Korea, uh, uh, South Korea, uh, where they had the church there, that was the largest church in the world, I think it still is, you're going to go to Korea, and learn of revival. Oh, thank you. A friend of mine came to me. She said, no, no. He said, no, this is my friend Trevor. He said, you've got it wrong, Steve. What she says is, you need to change your career. I think, thanks, thanks, Trev. No, I'm going to go to Korea one day. Now, I haven't been to Korea. But three years ago, just before lockdown, an organization contacted me, uh, Open Doors, some of you know them, who support persecuted Christians, and invited me to go where to? Korea. To learn, not from South Korean pastors, but from North Korean pastors who'd all been imprisoned for their faith and had escaped or got into South Korea, and we were going to get time with these North Korean pastors. And I'm sitting there, when listening to this, or reading the email rather, from a guy called Andy Worthington, thinking, this is that which was spoken of by Betty Berchall. And some of my friends joked about it, but she was right. I don't know whether Betty's still alive or not. She, she seemed old to me then, when I was 23. I mean, she's probably in her early 50s. Here we are 28 years later. No, no, more than that. 38 years later. Whoops. There's something about prophecy. That he, now, let me just finish this bit about it. She, she was a prophetess. She was eager to prophesy. I think we should be. It's one of the spiritual gifts that we're encouraged to do. I would like every one of you to prophesy. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, the apostle Paul said, but I would rather have you prophesy. You can hear from God and you can bring the word of the Lord. Now, there are parameters that will help you. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, it says this, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So I could be talking to someone, Rosemary, saying something that's encouraging to her, and in my mind, suddenly I'm realizing, this is not just me. This is God wants to encourage you. And so I can add, I honestly think God is saying to you, and I can add whatever that is. If it's to comfort if it's to encourage, or if it's to exhort her, carry on, they're the parameters. So it's very, very rarely, this is the realm of the prophets, there is foretelling something in the future. You with me? It's about bringing the word of the Lord. We can do it. Be released, you can do it. Now, another 
indication that it's of God is this. This is Revelation 19, verse 10. This is where John the Apostle has, has a vision from heaven. And when he sees this angel, he falls to the ground and starts to worship the angel. And the angel says to him, so, so this is John writing, at this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And this is the line. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. One way you can tell if it's a genuine prophecy is if it directs you more to leadership, not that you're left gaping, or how did this man or woman know all this about me? Because it's not about them. It's about the glory of Jesus. And true prophecy will always turn, Jesus, you know me. You know my comings and my goings. You know how my intimacies, because you gave that bit of knowledge to that individual who's prophesied over me, and you know the desires of my heart, and the glory goes to Jesus. But if all the attention is on the person and how, ooh, holy, holy, holy they are, because something's wrong. Something's out of kilter. It must point to Jesus. You with me? Did I hear an amen? amen. Oh, you're not very good today, you're amen him. Right, in my last 16 seconds. <laughs> she was a worshipper. Read Judges chapter, uh, Judge chapter 5. It's all about glory to God. It's all about glory to God. I want to just say this. This is all I'm going to say, and then I'll go on to the last point. Don't steal glory for yourself that belongs to God. Help us, Lord. This is why humility, humility should be our number one attribute that we're striving for and aiming for. Help us, Jesus. When I was in the Wirral, my office was um, overlooking at some houses at the back that, and my office was commandeered by the police for a season because behind us was a, a, a literal drug den. And they were watching their cameras and I couldn't use my office for three weeks. And one day, just after this, I was sitting in my office. I got my office back. There was a knock on the door and there was a very disheveled young man outside. I knew straight away where he was from. He was from this, this house out the back. And he said to me, um, I've been nebuchized. And I said, Nebuchadnezzar, that's a new, new word to me. What, what does that mean? He said, well, don't you know the story? And this, this was a sad story. So don't you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible? He said, when he stole the glory that belonged to God and rather said his kingdom was about himself, God sent madness on him. And I did know that story. And then he said, that's what's happened to me. Now, his mind was fried. There was something that was wrong with him. But I thought, you know what? He grasped something. Somehow in his strange, rewired thinking that he knew glory shouldn't go to an individual. We're made for the glory of God. Nebuchadnezzar says this. He said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And God humiliated him for seven seasons because of his pride. 
It's always a question, what is the original sin? But whatever it was, it's very closely related to pride. Pride stinks. All the glory, all the honor. It wasn't, look at me, Deborah. It was, let's worship God, who's our good God. Last point, number three. Not only be eager to prophesy, not only be a worshiper, but let's make sure that we lead like a mother in Israel. You say, but I'm a man. Oh, there are some qualities that are in God that are mentioned that are very motherly-like. I've got verse after verse here, actually, which I can't read them all to you, but maybe I'll just read one or two to you. Let me choose one. This one, Isaiah 42, 14. He will say, the Lord, I have long been silent. Yes, I have restrained myself, but now, like a woman in labor, I will cry and groan and pant. Deuteronomy 32, 18. You ignored the rock who gave you birth. You forgot the God who gave birth to you. In Thessalonians, the apostle Paul is writing to them and he says that he cared for them like a mother. Jesus, when he saw Jerusalem and how scattered they were, he said, oh, I feel like a mother who wants to gather the chicks together. She read like a mother in Israel. And we should lead like a mother in Israel. You know what I did in my study? Oh, so much time. I went and looked and tried and find what the Bible says about mothers. And it doesn't tell us a lot of how to be a good mother. Rather, it gives us examples of good mothers. Like a Jochebed who protected her little baby Moses and put him in a basket on the River Nile. Like a, ha a Hannah who made sure her son Samuel was devoted to the Lord. Like the woman whose name we don't know, who before Solomon protected her baby when he was about to cut them in two, she said, no, 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 he, he, give it to the other woman. And through that, she, Solomon knew the woman who protected the baby was the one who was the real mother. And so on and so on. There are examples of motherhood. And when I looked at them, I thought, the thing that you see amongst them is sacrificial love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, that's sacrificial love. Can we lead like Deborah? No, I'm not saying call God mother, by the way. Call God our father like the Bible reveals. But know that within God, who is neither male nor female, to be honest, there are qualities that are mother-like, attributes. And you can be a man and have them, just like you can be a woman and have fatherly attributes too. Be eager to prophesy. Don't take the glory for yourself. Let's make sure in all our interactions, if you're a leader, and by the way, if you're the light of the world, you're leading in your world wherever you are because you've got influence. And if you're an influencer, why not influence them with sacrificial love? In Jesus' name. Come on, let's stand and worship our beautiful God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. 
Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.